One of the few things every human on this planet, and every other living thing for that matter, shares is the fact that everything gets 1,440 minutes per day. Our planet makes one rotation on its axis, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, and we start the dance all over again. Part of the human experience is how we spend that time. Multiple sources, including the Mayo Clinic and the World Health Organization, suggest humans need 7 to 10 hours of sleep. The average workday is also 7 to 10 hours, depending on where you live. The time in between can be consumed with breaks from work or between classes, meals, getting ready for the day, and getting ready for bed, not to mention time spent commuting to and from work or school. If you have children, they take most of the rest of your time. With only a few precious minutes per day to ourselves under the best of circumstances, what would an additional 30 of those minutes mean to us? How could microchip technology help to create a time machine to give us this part of our lives back? Let's go beyond the microchip and hear a story of empowering innovation to enhance the human experience. Our guest today is Dr. Mark Smith. Mark is a senior marketing manager at Microchip Technology, working out of the Mixed Signal and Linear Device Business Unit. Welcome, Mark. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Microchip. Uh, in the intro, we briefly talked about how precious and fleeting time can be and how we never seem to have enough of it. You found a novel solution to this problem and got some of your day back. Tell us about it. Okay. Um, well, it kind of highlighted itself recently on... And one of uh, my family vacation, yeah. I was on a surf trip. And um, whenever you go on surf trips, the goal is to get good waves. Oh, man. And the waves were pumping. They were really pumping, meaning that they were good. They're, they're perfect, nice size. Um, and we wanted to get out early in the morning. And that's the best time when you, you wake up, you want to get out there when the waves are, are at their peak. And so you can take advantage of it. But I also want to get a couple of, a cup of espresso. So, <laughs> and, and one of the things that, um, so, but fixing espresso is an art form. I wanted a good cup. Um, you know, I'm on vacation. I want both surf and a cup of espresso right. that I did. We're not talking about a regular cup of coffee. No, this is a good cup, you know, that you do. And, and, um, and so they had an espresso maker there. And uh, at my house, I have a way of getting great espresso. And we'll talk about that, about getting my day back. And it was, but I didn't have it on this trip. And so I went to the, I went to the, the kitchen area because it was a surf camp and they had an espresso maker there. And so I ground my beans and I put them into the portafilter and I, and then I, put it into the machine and I realized that it's it needed to be heated up because to get good, you got to wait for this thing to heat up. And good machines take about 30 minutes, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just live with right. it right now. We're talking now. almost 200 degrees, right? Oh, yeah, and you get up to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To get up to um, the proper temperature on espresso, 200 degrees is about, is a good number. Some people do a little lower. Some people go a little higher. It depends a little bit on the beans right. and so on. Yeah. So anyway, it was at, wasn't at the right temperature. So I, I pushed the, the start button and this machine was set up so that it's not going to, once you hit the start button, if it's not at the right temperature, because it was at room temperature at this time, you would have to, it's going to wait, it's going to heat up. And then you know, it gets to the right temperature. Then it starts to pull the espresso out. And I said, so I started sitting there and I go, but 
you know, the waves are pumping. So I'm just not going to wait and to get my cup of espresso. So I pushed that button and I, I had to go get my stuff ready. I had to get my surfboard, my rash guard, my, you know, my surf wax, my sunscreen, get ready so I can go out and hit the, hit the, the waves. And so I went away and I went and got busy and I forgot that I'd pushed that button on the espresso maker. And I go, oh man, this is about five, 10 minutes later. I come back and sure enough, the espresso got to the right temperature and dispensed it. And, but it was overflowing that cup of coffee. And you see at home, I have an espresso maker that I don't have to remember to turn it off. It shuts off perfectly. So I was so used to this time machine we're going to talk about <laughs> that I forgotten I had this cup, overflowing cup of espresso. And so I had two choices. I either make another cup or get out in the surf. And so surfing was more important than espresso. You had to make for, a choice. You right. had to make a choice. And I didn't want to make that choice, uh, but I did. And it wasn't a very good cup of espresso, but I, it was, the surf was great. So that highlighted itself that next time I want, I need to bring my espresso maker um, on my next surf trip. So let's, let's get into that now. So Espresso is, you don't just grind beans and filter water through it like a regular cup of coffee. And espresso is a process. Can you walk us through the process yeah, of espresso? It's more than a process. It's, it's really an art form okay. um, because, believe it or not, every cup of espresso, there are so many parameters to get to the taste that comes out of espresso. And a lot of parameters, um, you really need to be, in order to get that good cup that you're looking for, the goal is, is to really control these parameters you're talking about. I mean, you're, you're right. You're, you're, the basics are you're pumping water, hot water over these coffee grinds and you're pulling oils off of the, the coffee and that those oils along with the water go into your cup of espresso. And the goal is to afford to get the, the goal to get a good one is you got to figure out you know, the pressure that you're pushing the water through, um, your, the temperature that you're at, um, the amount that you're at, how fast you're doing it. All these change the type of oils that are coming off and how quickly those oils are coming off of the coffee beans um, that are there. And that changes your taste. And actually a couple examples, if the first oils coming off the espresso beans are actually pretty sour tasting. Okay. Then the next, so like the first few seconds and right. then the next little bit, it actually becomes sweeter in taste. Okay. And then eventually, um, after a while, like on a long shot or something, it starts to become bitter. And then you, so you have this mix of flavors. Now you, in your, in your cup, you're going to have all three of those. Right. And the goal is to have them at the right amount and temperature so that when they mix together, you get this nice cup. So can you game it where you get like one percentage larger than the others? And, and so most of it, you could do that, but yeah. usually people do is they'll just, they'll just push it. You want, when you push this cup of espresso, you'd like that espresso to come out 25 to 30 seconds to do 60 milliliters, which is a double shot of espresso. And if you've, done your grinds at the right um, grind level, okay, and you've tampered it correctly, you're going to have a nice 
tasting cup of espresso that's not too bitter, not too sour, but just perfect. Just right. Just right. Now, anyway, that's that's the, the kind of the art form of of doing espresso. And there's there's books being written on this. There's there's podcasters that that talk about this. So it's I'm not an expert. I'm just uh, a hobbyist, uh, kind of like to geek out a little bit on this stuff. Well, so that's what we want to talk about today. That's so we we talk about you know. We often hear things like you can't have it all when the reality is you probably can, but you can't have it all at once. So what you figured out is a very novel solution to what could be considered a regular household item, right? The espresso machine. That's right. And for most people out there that drink coffee is you grind the beans, you place it in a filter, you fill a container full of water and, and a programmable coffee machine is you hit the button for 6 a.m., you walk away. Right. When you come in at 610 there's a whole carafe of coffee waiting for you. That's what I did this morning before I came in, but I'm not as into it, or I should say, maybe I don't appreciate the finer elements of this art form we're talking about. So you wanted to take this approach to your espresso maker, but you went one step further. Where'd you begin? Yeah. The, the, the real problem was, is that it takes about a half hour every day to do what I've talked about with a off the shelf, I call a single boiler, maybe an entry level espresso that can do good espresso. And by the way, the espresso I'm talking about is going to be better than you can get at any coffee shop. I mean, usually I come and I, I, I taste at a coffee shop. Now, I have espressos all over the world and stuff in coffee shops in my neighborhood and, and they're okay. But I actually, I like the one at my house better. Right. So, but you can do it with, to do it with an entry level machine, it takes about a half hour. Right. And my goal was, well... Um, and, and what does this half hour entail? Okay. You want to get that cough. You need to get the machine warmed up and a lot of it's the machine warming up, getting nice and warm. You want to be able to then, when you press that espresso and the stuff, cup, uh, the, the water comes out that the temperature is constant consistent, and at a, right. yeah. consistent at a right temperature. And then you, you go through the tamping and you also in the, in the, the grinding of the beans, but those two are, those are the two heated up for a while, constant temperature. Um, and then if you're going to walk away or something like this, you want to be able to have it automatically shut off and a few other neat stuff. But the time saving is, is that you want to turn it on at the right time before you need your cup and then it be ready and nice and warm and at a constant temperature to be able to do that. So Right. And shut itself off. And shut itself off. Because that was what you were dealing with was the overflow, right? <laughs> that, so that's we're, right. we're dealing with pressure. We're dealing with time. We're dealing with temperature. And then there's also the interface and the preparatory work and then the afterwards. Yeah. So where, when you built your uh, magic machine, where, where did you begin first? What was the first thing you wanted to fix? First thing I wanted to do was temperature. Okay. Um, and because you get a, an entry level machine comes out and temperature is... It's done with thermostats, and um, thermostat is a is two pieces of metal bimetallic switch that it gets to the right temperature, and these open up, and then when it gets cooled down again, those two pieces of metal come back together, and that turns on and off the heater. Um, the problem is, is that there is if you, when you're trying to get to the exact degree when you're pulling your espresso, these thermostats have about a forty degree range wow. that they're on okay. or off. And so you're, you're kind of guessing. That's quite a delta, yeah. And so sometimes you might be at 240 degrees Fahrenheit. Sometimes you're down at 200 degrees. And so you have burnt coffee. It's quite a margin of error. It's cool. You know, it's cold. And so you're never sure when you pull the espresso, am I at the right temperature? 
And then, then of course, then you're looking for the best shots every day in the morning. And so anyway, so the first thing I did was I changed that out. I put a thermocouple in it, okay. thermocouple controlled device. And then, you know, when you add a thermocouple, it's not that simple. You got to hook it into a little mini computer. And I used a, a Linux based mini computer using Raspberry Pi that runs it. And, um, and then controls it within one degree, um, and so on. And using, you know, out and if you look at coffee machines, uh, these espresso makers, they have P they say PID control. And that's what I did effectively. I was doing that, but I did it kind of on my little raspberry Pi and, and stuff to get to that temperature level. That's for advanced machines. And I'm talking once I, this is this entry level machine that I had. So what, so we got the temperature dialed in. Yeah. What happened next? So then it's course, then it's, you know, I would wake up in the morning and go, you know, the best way to make sure my machine is nice and warm. As soon as I wake up, I turn on this coffee maker and espresso maker, get it warmed up. So by the time I want that cup, you know, it's all nice and warm and ready. The issue is, is that well, that worked great when I was kind of analyzing and studying and how to hook up this temperature monitor and stuff. But, you know, you wake up, you've got to run downstairs, turn the machine on, run back, then get all ready for work. And that worked for a little while until you forget. You wake up, you're super busy, you are ready to go out the door, and then you realize, ah, shoot, I want a cup of espresso, but I did forgot to turn this thing on. Um, okay, I'll use a subpar amount. I still got to wait around. Um, you know, I'm not going to have my nice cup every day. So, right. so, so when it gets to temperature, you've got that locked in, you've got your tiny margin of error, but right. then you got to get the water to temperature. And that's a significant time challenge. That's, that's the time challenge. And so I said, okay, let me see what, what, what things can we do? I can put on a timer. Like you talked about in your coffee maker, right. just do the timer. But I said, you know, I got a little mini computer here uh, and, and we, and machine learnings all around this AI, how do we do it? And so I immediately, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's think of how it could just follow me and I don't have to think about it. It just turns it on when it needs to. And so a uh, little, little research online and figured out about time series analysis. And, and so right now the next step was to design it so that it would turn on and get to the right temperatures and understand, when it anticipated I needed that cup of espresso. So it's learning you. It's learning me. Right. And, and so the idea would be, yeah, if I put it on a timer, like you talked about at 630, that's, that's great. But what about the weekends? Okay. Um, or what if my time, my work schedule changes and I'm super busy, maybe, and I, you know, maybe super early or uh, other times it's a little bit later. So I wanted to learn my pattern and not have to think about it. And then be able to go ahead and, you know, and, and have that espresso done. So I, I built a machine learning uh, algorithm around it. And, but um, I wanted to see how good that machine learning algorithm was, right? I wanted to check it out. So I self, it has a self-grading algorithm. It tests okay. to see how good it is, okay. right? And right now, uh, I just checked it um, yesterday, 79.5% of the time that I want an espresso, it's already warmed and ready to go about, you know, four fifths of the time. I'm right. Ready. So you're, you, people at home can't see it, but you're monitoring it right now. Yeah. I, I can monitor for my, my, uh, my cell phone yeah. right now. You know, it has a, 
it's a little mini computer, so I can add a little, it has a web page on it mm-hmm. and I can, I can do that. I can see what the temperatures, I can see what the water level is. We'll talk about that in a second. And it can measure shot times associated with it. But one of the big features is, is that when I, when I uh, need a cup of espresso, when is it, is it ready? Is it nice and warm and ready to go so I can get that cup? And about 80% of the time, and it's really cool because you know, if I'm, and you can, and ha- I have a histogram on it that kind of talks about my history, but yeah, you know, most of the time I have a cup in the morning, but sometimes I'll have a cup of espresso in the afternoon or in the evening, you know, especially on a weekend or something like this when, right. you know, you do it and sure enough, it, it's ready. <laughs> so, so that was, that was the kind of the journey on, you know, getting this cup of, you know, this, this machine that was, um, you know, the book that knew what, when I needed the cup and it, and that worked really well. Um, one other thing that I added to it is that once again, time saving and stuff. So when I wake up, do it. I, one of the problem I, I came up about is that I'd forget to put water into it because there's a water tank. Mm-hmm. And so I would do the, it would do the cup and all of a, and wouldn't pull out a cup of espresso. And so I added a, a water tank sensor to it that measured accurately um, the water tank level and, um, uh, choosing an inductive position sensing, uh, technique, um, which is, um, which is pretty cool technique, uh, and it's super accurate. So now you wonder, well, okay, well, that doesn't really care for a water tank because, you know, all you need is to know at what point you need to restart, you know, refill that water tank. But since that at work, I, I work with inductive sensors. I kind of did an overkill, but the side benefit of that was that it's now accurate enough to measure the espresso that comes out in my little cup. So, Ooh, okay. so I can, when I, now I press the button, I don't even have to turn it off. It shuts, it measures 60 milliliters or whatever I've programmed and then shuts off. It's with accurate within just plus or minus five milliliters. So using this water tank sensor that I added into it. So so for those of you keeping score at home, we're now one degree plus or minus. And we're now exactly at 60 milliliters. And 60 milliliters. Okay. And a web page that tells me the shot times and you want it like 25 to 30 seconds. And usually that's, why is that? That's just a rule of thumb that people uh, have kind of learned that I've, that I've learned gives a good cup of espresso, espresso coming mm-hmm. out. But some people might do 20 seconds or some might do 35 and they want to get that feedback by, okay, if I, if I can pull it a little longer, Oh, then I need to tamper it. Maybe I need a little finer grind of coffee so that I, it would go a little longer or a, a coarser grind of coffee so that it'll be a little less. And then that gets tunes or it's the art form of coming out with that consistent cup of espresso. Where did the Nixie tube come in? Yeah. So, well, it's become, it's because, you know, um, having wires around a piece of, of, kitchen gear and wires and computers around a kitchen gear would not fly, um, for, um, my partner, my wife, um, in bringing it <laughs> in the house, it would not fly. I think those of us that are married can relate. <laughs> so, so I wanted to bring this into the house and have it, you know, somewhere in the kitchen or nearby. And so I needed to make sure that everything was buttoned up together and looked good. And so, um, instead of having the wires, I put them all into a 3d case, but on the front, um, 
Um, I, you can use my cell phone and I can look up the web page, but I wanted an indicator that kind of told me a lot of stuff um, about what was going on without having to go to the web page. And so I built a, I added this, it's called a linear Nixie tube bar graph display. So Nixie tubes are kind of some older technology invented in the fifties and it's pretty retro looking, but it looked pretty cool. It hangs off the front of my machine and it's a bar graph and it does several things. One, it just tells me the water level of what's in the tank. So I know when to do it, but it'll also tell me the temperature too. If I push the button and it's not the right temperature, it, it tells how soon it will get to that temperature. Ooh, okay. It also tells me when I push, when it doesn't express, so it then tells me the water level of the espresso. So it tells me how close are, how close I'm getting to an end for the espresso. So it gives me some feedback there. And then it also tells me when some alarm systems, like a, if I need more water, it starts flashing at me and stuff like that. So the goal was to have a, a kind of a retro looking display that I could add that looked okay and that passed, you know, the, the aesthetics uh, requirements of uh, the, the household so I could bring it in and, and use it every day in the kitchen. So it's kind of like a dashboard that just gives you status of everything? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. So we've got inductive sensors and we've got thermocouples and we've got mini computers and we've got a web page. Any other technology that you've brought into it? Yeah, machine learning, but uh, we added that into the, that was part of your mini computer. It's machine learning, so that was good. Um, and I think that's, 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 oh. These are the big parts. Those are the big parts. All right, and we do this every day. Every day. So I wake up and get to go downstairs and, you know, I have a nice cup before I go out the door. Sometimes I'm running out the door and I bring my cup with me. So it's good. So I'm doing some, I'm doing some back of the envelope math here while you're talking. We're talking about 30 minutes a day that you've effectively eliminated. That comes out to about 780 hours a year, which gives you, say, calculate 30, oh, wow. 30 minutes a day. That gives you 210 minutes a week. Yeah, that gives you about seven and a half days of your year back. So you've effectively bought a week of your life back, which is half of most people's vacations that you just got back. I like that. That's good. I didn't realize that. So I'm thinking about this now. So you've leveraged technology in such a way that not only do you get a perfect espresso. That's exactly the way you want it. Right. You've taught it to learn you instead of the other way around with most interactions of consumer technologies. Yeah. You've got to figure the thing out and do what it wants. It's yeah. figured out what you want. And on top of that, you bought back a week of your life every year. Pretty good. Pretty good. I like that. 10 years, that's going to be what, you know, a long time. Yeah. Right? Do calculation on that one. <laughs> and you get to go ahead and catch the break. And yes, surf when surf's up, I don't have to worry about my, and I can get, bring my espresso. Yeah. Out to the break. You can bring it with you. Yeah. I can bring it with me. Right. <laughs> and that's one minute to be, to fix. Uh, What's yeah, not to like. Half hour. So we're talking about inductive sensors and thermocouples. So what can you tell us about those things as a technology? Why are they useful? 
Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with uh, thermocouples. Uh, thermocouples are great for measuring temperatures accurately. And, you know, it's, what is it? It's really measuring the voltage across two dissimilar metals. And what you do is you put those two dissimilar metals in a high temperature environment and thermocouple is great. They're, they're used, thermocouple temperature measurements are used in lots of industrial applications. Your ovens are going to have them, you know, but a lot of industrial applications over a wide range of temperatures, it's super good. And, and so you have these two dissimilar metals that are right next to each other and in a high temperature environment and they'll create a voltage and, but a really small voltage. Right. And, and so then you use that, um, you need to convert that into a temperature. And, and so that was, that was one of the technologies we used. And um, in microchip, we have a, a very nice IC family called the MCP960X family that will convert this, you know, metal voltage. They call it a, a temperature EMF, but it's a voltage and convert it into a temperature that comes out and through an I squared C port that can be read right into a mini computer or to a microcontroller. And so all I had to do, I had to put that MCP onto my little protoboard or circuit board and then run a thermal couple, which are these two dissimilar metals up right. to the, to my, uh, you know, my boiler to measure the temperature. So that was one of the technologies I used. And, and I used, and it was, um, um, the advantage was, is this IC does all that, all the calculations of that voltage because that voltage will change over temperature that we talked about. Right. And, and it does the calculations for you for a given, uh, th uh, type of thermocouple. Right. What about inductive sensors? Yeah. And so inductive is a really great technology that, w that microchip has, and it's called inductive position. I like to call it inductive position sensing. Um, and it's a position sensor that measures the location of a target. Um, and it uses magnetic fields to do that, but it doesn't use a magnet. Um, a traditional magnetic field sensors have used Hall effect type sensors. They call it Hall effect because it's detecting this magnetic field. Um, ours don't use it. Instead, we use a piece of metal as the target. And this piece of metal now in the sensor is, is actually traces on a PCB board. And those traces on this PCB board create a magnetic field. And then the piece of metal disturbs that magnetic field at a given location. And we've set up the, the sensor to have a primary and a couple secondary receive coils. And we can zero in, triangulate where that position of that piece of metal that's moving is. And, okay. so, and so for the, for the water tank, um, what happened was, is that in order to do the water tank sensor, I put a float that was floating inside the water and, you know, right at the top of the, the where the, wherever the water is, is floating. And it, that float had a piece of metal on it. It has copper on it. Okay. A really thin piece of copper. And then outside the tank, um, I had my PCB board, which is my, my linear, you know, sensor that is generating a magnetic field. And then that float Watch disturbs disturbs that magnetic field and I'm able to accurately figure out its position. And the, the technology is not just for water sensors. In fact, it, it's really good in uh, a lot of industrial applications that need to measure angle or linear position or your automotive applications that need to do, um, you know, uh, 
angle or linear position. It can handle really high temperatures and it's accurate over high temperatures. So it's a, it's a neat technology. In fact, I see, anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good technology. And we at Microchip use, um, we have a family um, and one of the parts is called the LX3302 family of inductive position sensors um, that use this technology. If you're driving around in a car today, there's a chance that your car accelerator pedal has a couple of inductive position sensors in there. I may under, understand why a couple. And the reason is because for automotive, safety is pretty important. Accelerator pedal is pretty important. If one just if something happens and one of the one of the systems breaks down, you want to have a backup. Redundancy. Right? Redundancy. And so for safety critical applications, many systems have redundancy. So the inductive solutions. position sensor would measure how much you're pushing on the pedal to translate how much power goes to the engine. Exactly. And that's just one of many locate places. You can chassis sensor, your uh, rotor position inside a motor. Um, your trans gears within a transmission, these can all use inductive position sensing. So, Okay, so we've got automotive, we've got industrial. Uh, suppose one of our listeners at home has a use case for this technology in, in one of those areas or in a different area. Yeah. Where would they go? How, how could they adopt it? Yeah, I mean, best place for these technologies, both of these, is come to, you know, our microchip website. Um, there's, in fact, I think in our show links, we'll put a, a link down. I can give you a link um, that you can see where they can go and learn about inductive position sensing. Um, and there is thermocouple ICs, just even searching thermocouple ICs on our microchip website. Mm -hmm. It'll come up our family. Um, that's our, I would say, the best the best um, place to go for it. One other place, you know, I know people, are, we're talking about, you know, uh, white goods and, you know, coffee makers and uh, just one other application for inductive, which is really nice, is um, kind of industrial level knobs. And the neat thing about it is that for an inductive position sensor, you could build a knob that is on a piece of glass and the glass is not cut. Normally a knob has a, you know, some sort of shaft that right. goes through the glass. Well, you don't have to with inductive. You can actually have the metal on one side of the glass, maybe glued, has a, has a kind of a mount point that's glued on the glass. And on the back side, you can have a sensor. So your ovens or cooked you know, up. Yeah. Cooked up. Yep. And on the back, you can have the sensor. And you now don't have to drill in the glass. And so the cost of drilling is often a, a fairly expensive manufacturing step. You can save that cost with using inductive. So that was just one other, since we were talking about, you know, stuff in the kitchen. I, I yeah, because now that. we're getting into consumer appliances. Yeah, okay. All right. right. Uh, <clears throat> so let's see. We've got uh, microchip.com forward slash inductive dash position dash sensors. So it's microchip.com forward slash inductive position sensors with a hyphen in between each of those words. And then for thermocoupling, we've got microchip.com forward slash thermocouple dash IC. Those are two places you can go and check that out. And of course, anywhere on microchip.com, we have a search button you can get to uh, find anything you're looking for in a search field. Uh, so you said this is not a, a new technology. It's been around a while, but it's obviously it's going places. We're talking about you know, non-contact non through glass. That's right. Um, do you have any predictions on the future of the technology? Um, yeah. I, I, where, where are we going with it? What? Right. Especially with inductive, I you know, and uh, both of them are good. They'll be around and thermocouples have been around forever. But inductive position sensing is a technology that, that will be, in my opinion, replacing 
traditional or older Hall effects technologies because of really because of three big advantages. One, it's more accurate over temperature. The magnetic properties of a magnet will change with temperature. And with inductive, uh, the techniques we use um, in microchip don't, don't change with temperature. The other one is immunity to stray magnetic fields. Um, in industrial applications and electric vehicle applications specifically, the right. amount of magnetic fields with electric motors is, is getting higher and higher or charging currents gets higher and higher. And the inductive position sensing can reject that. We, do, we have active rejecting of those noises. And the other one is we just don't need the, the magnets themselves. So we can get rid of the magnet, save cost there. Um, you get a slightly bigger PCB board because the sensor does need PCB board to be the sensor. Right. But in general, I see this transitioning into the um, getting away from Hall effects into inductive is the future. You know, as new designs, we're seeing this already in the automotive industry. And we will, uh, I see that as new designs come up, they're going to go, okay, well, I can do it with Hall effect. I can do it with inductive. They'll make the decisions and I see them choosing inductive over and over. So I see that happening. Yeah, I've seen that in the automotive application set, specifically around climate control. A lot of automakers are now putting knobs back into the oh, interface yeah. because oh, when yeah. you're trying to deal with sliders and digital to figure out how to make it cooler or warmer, that's a safety hazard. Yeah. So right. it's nice to have a tactile knob that you can actually use. Yeah, they like, they're liking knobs now and knobs are good and we can use that with inductive for right. sure. Any final thoughts? I enjoyed, uh, and this of course is a, a hobby. So, you know, I enjoy it doing it. So anyway, it's fun to, to talk about it. Um, and, um, um, you know, the, this idea of, um, machine learning and AI, you know, I think the idea is it, it's good and it makes us more efficient. And I think ultimately though, how does it, you know, how does it improve our, you know, our lifestyle and, and, uh, giving a, let us do stuff that we want to do. Right. And I think if it's allowing us to do stuff that we want to do, I think it's the right direction. So sometimes you go off on tangents and with uh, AI and stuff and maybe it's, it's not, it's not allowing you to do stuff that you want to do. And anyway, this was kind of fun thing that allowed me to do what I wanted to do. Right? Cause of your life back. Yeah, right? exactly. yeah. Yeah. In business, I think there's three immutable laws. One is how can you raise revenue? How can you decrease costs? But the third one is what I would call a time machine. How do you get your time yeah. back yeah. since we only have so much of it? Dr. Mark Smith is a senior marketing manager at Microchip Technology, specializes in mixed signal and linear devices, as well as where to find a nice point break. He joins us here at our global headquarters in Chandler, Arizona. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for venturing beyond the microchip with us. Join us next time as we continue to explore empowering innovation to enhance the human experience. Where, where is your favorite surf spot? So I, I live in Southern California. So the place I go is a place called Salt Creek. Salt Creek? Yeah. And so I Big, do, long hill you got to walk down, Walk right? down, yeah. It's, it's a nice place. And then Trestles is good. Trestles is, um, Lower Trestles is the best in Southern California. And a lot of mythology sometimes. around Trestles that I'm yeah. aware of. Yeah. yeah. So, But I, I go to Salt Creek a lot.